1: Hello and welcome to the Football Digest Daily. I'm your host Conor Bromley and today we are joined by David Rivers and Freddie Keely and we're going to talk all EFL Cup or Carabao Cup if you know by the sponsor name. And there's only one place to start for me and that is Sunderland's winning against QPR last night being the Sunderland fan that I am. No, I'll not bore everyone with that. But Sunderland are in the last day, the lowest ranked team in the competition and they beat QPR last night on penalties. But we'll start with Arsenal. Um, beat Leeds last night, David. It's a competition that, you know, without Europe this year for Arsenal, for the first time in a long time, it feels like Arsenal haven't been in Europe. Um, this is a competition they can really take seriously and have a proper go at. I mean, I think they've not won it since 1991 or 1992. It's, mm. it's been a long time since Arsenal have had success in this competition.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think they should take it seriously. Um, they haven't won it, as I, I think it was 1993 actually. Uh, but yeah, they haven't won it since then. And I think that's quite it's quite damning for a club of of Arsenal's size. Um, I thought it was a good night for Arsenal. I thought it was it was something quite old school about Arsenal doing well with youngsters in the League Cup. It kind of reminded me of the kind of Venga era in the noughties where watching Arsenal youngsters playing well in the League Cup almost became like an occasion in itself. Um, but they've got some great players to push forward for it. I thought Smith Rowe was really, really good. Um, I'm still not convinced by Nicholas Pepe. I feel like sometimes I remind, I have to remind myself how much they actually paid for him. But other than that, I thought Inketia was the man of the match. Uh, I thought he was. Like, Arteta was was glowing about him after the game. Uh, there was also a really good moment where Callum Chambers, after he scored, ran over to the set piece coach uh, and it just just hinted for me that this is quite a harmonious dressing room at the moment and um I yeah I think Arsenal should take it really seriously. Uh I think you know youngsters is something that Arteta has got right at Arsenal. And I think winning this trophy with said youngsters would be a real testament to that aspect of his management. Uh, so yeah I think they should go for it.
1: And Freddie you know we- mentioned there about eddie and ketty yeah, it feels like it's a player that has had potential for a long time and people have been you know ranting and raving about him since he was on loan at leeds about two or three years ago he hasn't quite been able to sort of break his way at the arsenal team obviously he's had lacazette and Yang ahead of him do you think that he can you know in this competition put a stamp on the team and, and potentially get games for arsenal uh, in the league
0: Absolutely. If he's gonna force his way into Arteta's plans, then without Europe Europa League action this season, then it's really gonna be uh, the Carabao Cup where he's got to shine. And all he can do, as 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 David says, is kind of put in those man of the match performances and keep chipping in with goals when he gets the opportunity. It's um it's been yeah it's been quite a bizarre year for him. What with the there was some serious um, West Ham interest um, for quite a while and quite a big money move touted for him, but. Um, he's he's ended up staying and uh with kind of the uncertainty around Lacazette, who is also out of contract soon, um, he's gotta he's gotta really take that chance. Um also want to pick up on what David said about the uh this kind of set piece coach, because Arsenal have gone from having one of the worst defensive records from set pieces, and uh, I think they had such a long wait to try from scoring from set pieces as well. Um, whereas now they've got quite a kind of solid base what with uh, with Gabriel, and it was obviously Ben White who played yesterday as well. Gabriel wasn't playing, but, um, and they seemed to have really improved in that aspect. Um, so yeah, some, there was, there was some cause for, cause for cheer on both ends of the pitch for Arsenal. Um, obviously slightly tempered with the, uh, knock to Ben White though.
1: And a little word on Leeds, uh, David, this season Leeds have not had, sort of the start people expect i think people, a lot of people think they're a, a steady premier league team probably somewhere in the region of 10th to 12th i think most people would put them mm-hmm. but bielsa yeah. seems to have lost that little bit of spark this season and Leeds don't look anywhere near the team that they were last year
2: yeah i mean i i think they've been incredibly lucky that there have been two worse teams than them uh three worse teams than them in the premier league this season and i would be very worried about Leeds because burnley have got a track record of getting themselves out of this situation and Newcastle have this, you know, uh, lavish, <laughs> fascinating January as well. So I'd be, yeah, I'd be worried. I I thought they just looked so easy to break down. Um, and, you know, Calvin Phillips had a really poor game, which would also worry me. And I'm just, I don't know, I just wonder if there's almost um, a slight air of Mourinho about Bielsa in the sense that it's towards the end of his... Towards the latter stages of his career, Mourinho had a habit of going into sides and you know, winning things, but putting so much, so many demands on players, you know, physically and mentally, that the players just kind of wore out and became a little apathetic to it all. And I kind of getting the impression that this lead side do perhaps just look like they can't give the one hundred percent that Bielsa demands every single week. Um, so yeah, I'd I'd be really worried about a
1: Leeds, man, Freddie. Do you agree? Do you think Leeds are in for? I'm not saying a tough season as in They're going to get relegated, but to me, they they look like a bottom five team in the Premier League at the minute.
0: Well, David's absolutely right about the uh, the physical demands. Be able to on his team, and I, I think no no team ran further in the Premier League last year than than Leeds, and obviously they were so impressive. Everyone everyone's second team um, loved watching them, and I think yeah, perhaps what was so concerning last night is that it wasn't it wasn't really two weaker team obviously got like Rodrigo and Dan James Jack Harrison starting in attack it's fairly strong and Calvin Phillips is often touted as their kind of well their, their most important player so him being fit in time for the trip to the Emirates was a big deal but as you say I'm not sure whether that was a lack of match sharpness or a drop-off in form because of um physical demands but yeah really worrying performance and um to be kind mean, of lingering in the relegation zone at this point i don't think many uh many Leeds fans or many premier league fans would expect of for for the whites at this point
1: okay we'll jump now to chelsea who needed penalties to squeak past southampton last night uh, kai Havertz though on the score sheet for, for chelsea currently struggling without strikers at the minute david do you think you know, that was a, a, a necessary win to just somehow get through for Chelsea last night. Because I know that they, they hammered Norwich at the weekend, but obviously we all know how mm. poor mm. Norwich are. This was more of a test. Southampton, very resolute under Ralph Hassan, who always a difficult game. Um, mm. Well, apart from the couple of times they've, they've shipped nine goals in the past. Southampton. But generally a hard team to beat. Is that a good result for Chelsea last night?
2: I think it was, yeah. I think... Um... You know, they made something like six six changes uh, from the Norwich win and, you know, what position to be in to, to change a squad like that and still win. Um, I, yeah, I, thought, I, I agree. I thought Southampton showed a lot of fight in coming back into it. and I thought It was a great game, by the way. Um, but, yeah, I think I thought Kai Havertz was encouraging for Chelsea. That would be my takeaway from the game um he to me his Chelsea career has kind of ebbed and flowed so far and a lot of Chelsea fans I speak to say that that goal in the Champions League final was perhaps cutting more slack than he perhaps deserves because he hasn't yet cracked on with a consistent string but you know he scored um he scored last night and he's, he's been scoring lately so I think that would be the most encouraging thing for me as a Chelsea fan um, the only disappointment for me for Chelsea was I, Ross Barkley didn't take his his chance and I thought he would have I thought, you know, if, if ever get, you're going to get a chance under Tuchel it would be a game like this and he was subbed off with 20 minutes to go um, He's, I think I'd have to consign him at the moment to the same fate as Dele Alley, really in the sense of he looked so promising earlier in his career and it's, he just seems to not be able to take his chances to rediscover his form when he's given them. So like him, I think they both need moves from their clubs. But yeah, I I thought it was a promising night for Chelsea, especially so with Havertz scoring, who's who's stepped up a lot since Lukaku got injured.
1: Do you think Thomas Tuchel will be targeting this competition, Freddie? Because he's a manager that, as every manager does, likes to win trophies, but he has a track record of winning trophies. Um, For Chelsea, is it a case of, you know, every competition is as important as the other one.
0: Yeah, I certainly think he'll be looking to, uh, to add another honor, having, um, fallen short, obviously in the FA cup last season. Um, but obviously winning the champions league, he can kind of continue that blistering start and he knows ultimately that Stanford bridge, uh, Stanford bridge bosses are going to be looking for every piece of silverware. Um, otherwise, uh, you know, one, one kind of, uh, sub pass spell and that could spell the end of your your career there. Um, yeah, I, I think uh, Havertz was Havertz was impressive yesterday, um, but I also felt he could have, I could, there could have been more from him really, like he took his goal well, but then uh, after Che Adams pulled to Alhampton level, he kind of had a couple of chances where he's through on goal and he maybe lacks the uh, the cutting edge of the likes of Lukaku. It um, kind of... Uh, taking a bit too long and giving Fraser Forster a little bit too much time to get back into position a couple of times. But I'd echo what David said about Ross Barkley as well. It was, um, I think perhaps he was outclassed in midfield by Sal on the night. Um, although, I mean, it's obviously been a bit, a bit of a stuttering start to his time uh, time in West London as well. I think uh, the main takeaway for me was um, uh, kind of Chalaba's rise to um, to prominence under Tuchel. Um marshalling a, a, a back three is the, the linchpin of the the centre back trio. Um I don't think many of us would have expected he'd be uh making I think it's three Premier League starts in a row now and then um yeah a prominent role yesterday having spent last season on on loan in uh, France with Lorient. Um and uh yeah more question marks around um Kepa Riza as well after uh letting that Walker peters shot through his uh through his legs, I think it's kind of it's often um one step forward two two steps back for him and um i think i'm not sure whether he did get did he get a hand to one of those um Salampton penalties he may well well have done i think maybe theo walcott yeah. um but it's yeah it's just a, maybe another mixed evening for him um but overall a promising evening for chelsea I mean, it's always promising when you're able to make lots of changes and and get through to a cup quarter final so um as long as as long as Tuchel's started progressing he'll be he'll be happy and um, there was a, a chance to give a lot of the first team regulars a um, an evening off and I mean a lot of those changes were were enforced on the night with uh, um, andreas christensen having a um, a dental problem apparently um, not quite sure what's going on with, with his teeth and obviously captain as um out, out injured as well um, so um, yeah mass rotation and and progressing on penalties after yeah, it was, a, it was a pick at the pick of the games last night. Really, it was end to end. It was exciting, and uh, yeah, too too cool with another another honor firmly in his sights.
1: Southampton, you know, David, they seem like a team that are difficult to beat, but are also not picking up wins. You know, they they continually mm. a side that seems to pick up draws. I don't know how many games they've lost this season, but they don't seem to lose very often. But they they have mm. struggled. It seem to be a team that uh, lacks goals. I would say they, they just seem mm. very um I don't know what the word would be almost bland you know uh, okay mm. defensively but not brilliant and going forward not not quite enough do you worry about them this season because a team that struggles to win games is generally a team that's going to struggle at the, the wrong end of the table and the hassle era has been full of ups and downs and you just worry mm. that you know it's been since January last year when I think they were they went top of the Premier League at one point didn't the last season yeah. yeah and since that point they've been really poor in I would be concerned that they could get brought into this um relegation battle quite seriously this year
2: yeah yeah I mean I completely agree with you I think they are a a club that are playing well and showing a lot of spirit um but are ultimately losing games um you know one sentence I keep reading with Southampton is spirited in defeat and that pretty much sums up their season so far um I think yeah I mean I'm you could say it's almost quite predictable because they sold Danny Ings um who I, th- I think must have solved that problem you know to actually score when they were on on top uh, and I think their replacement Armstrong who you know it's early days and he's, he's new to the Premier League but he's, he's clearly not providing what Danny Ings was providing um I, I do think they will be all right I do think they'll be all right because uh, like quite a few other clubs this year, I feel like they're banking on three teams, particularly Norwich being much worse than them, which, you know, is, is not a great sign for the Premier League. But I, I do think Southampton, would, they, they look to me like the kind of club that will, will get a run together just in time. And I think they'll be safe.
1: Okay, I did joke about Sunderland, but we'll touch on them because they went through last night against QPR. Freddie is a, is a, you know, somebody who's watched football for years. Sunderland obviously had a, a long stay in the Premier League. Have generally been a Premier League club as well. Of course, struggling, well, not struggling. They're doing all right in League One at the minute, but being in League One's a struggle. You don't have to tell me. <laughs> it is a struggle, but is it is it good seeing them? You know, kind of, you know, those three thousand away fans down at QPR on a Tuesday night, kind of getting a little bit of pomp about them thinking that you know they could get a big draw in the next round, and I think if they, they did get one of the big boys at the the stadium tonight, it might be a a difficult evening. I'm not saying Sunderland will get through; they probably wouldn't, but it, it could be a difficult evening for one of the big teams if they came there in the quarterfinals.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's great for Sunderland and it's great for the, for the League Cup as well because um, well, as as we were we were talking about, it's been absolutely dominated by the by the Premier League's big boys for over the last few seasons with City winning five of the last six and um you know everyone wants to see you know a kind of an upset and, a, and, a, and an underdog go um go all the way so it'll be all eyes on the draw and um happy to see um a team from you know outside the, out the outside the Premier League um kind of making a making an impression and we'll, we'll have a look and see whether um any of the uh any of the non top flight teams can uh can follow suit today but um yeah, no, yeah, really, really good for the uh, for the Carabao Cup, I think. Do you think,
1: David, that Sunderland getting into the last day is almost overlooked because they're a team that people are used to seeing at the top end of the game? Like people almost, I'm not saying forget they're a League One club, but they are a club that doesn't stand out necessarily as much as if it was, say, Burton Albion, who got the semi-final mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Sunderland being in the League Cup quarterfinals isn't, you know, they're in the final, you know, within the last yeah. sort of seven or eight years. So do you think it, it's kind of went under the radar because of that?
2: I think so yeah I think so because uh I, I kind of think people are sometimes reluctant to, to lump them with an underdog tag given the size of the club but the division they're playing in and um, because you know it must be remembered that they made something like seven changes for that game from the weekend uh and to do that and then beat a club from an upper division it, it I, I agree it's almost gone under the radar as one of the rounds arguably the round's biggest achievement um and I think uh, the manager alluded to the championship is is where they want to be playing, uh, and I, I thought they gave a great account of themselves to be doing that next year. Um, and I just hope, I just really hope that they can avoid Liverpool or Manchester City if those two sides go through, because I had a Saturday's draw. I would really like to see them play Arsenal or or Tottenham if they get through. <laughs> That's. There's almost an air of nostalgia about that i kind of i think that's the kind of fixture you could really imagine if they don't win they would almost certainly give a serious fight so that that that's my hope for some uh for saturday yeah
1: i think lee johnson did say after the game that he wanted arsenal or Tottenham, and then he wanted a big yeah. boy after that so he threw a little yeah, bit of shade yeah. at the Awesome Tottenham. We'll look ahead to <laughs> tonight's games. Liverpool against Preston. It, it should be a fascinating game, Meaning to see how Liverpool line up. Obviously, destroyed Manchester United at the weekend and they'll be on cloud nine from that. But it's, is it unlikely to see many of them players, Freddie, play against Preston? Do you think it could be, you know, eight, nine, ten changes?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the kind of number of changes we're expecting, I think. But I also think... um kind of Klopp's reached a point now um, or linders we should say um, because he seems to be uh, entrusted with a lot of the carabao cup responsibilities the assistant um, they've reached a stage where the squad is just um just really strong at this point and you you look even at centre-back which was ravaged by injury last year and you have um Canata coming in for his his third start and kind of bossing a ronaldo ronaldo-led attack so um they've reached a stage where they've got brilliant strength in defence attack midfield's a bit injury ravaged at the moment but um, I think uh, we'll see a lot of changes but it will still be a a strong Liverpool team and one which will get the job done um, you know avoiding avoiding a kind of an upset that mass rotation can sometimes lead to Um, I think uh, even you know even the front line you think uh, Origi and Minamino both took their chance against Norwich City in the previous round um, scoring the three goals between them and you know Sadio Mane was handed a uh, spot on the bench at the weekend so you we could even see you could even see him unlikely or that that may seem um so yeah expecting to see a lot of changes um but still a strong Liverpool team
1: what do you expect from Preston David? do you think they'll be I mean, they've not had a great season so far in the championship but i remember years ago liverpool playing against burnley in the league cup and mm-hmm. burnley were in the championship and i think Jimmy Traoré scored no goal and, I'm not saying this is going to have similar feelings to it, but that that sticks out in my head as being, you know, it's a tricky tie. It'll be a crowd well up for it, a Preston team well up for it. And if you do yeah. make changes, it could be much more difficult than, say, the Norwich game, where Liverpool had already played Norwich earlier in the season. Norwich mm. fans aren't necessarily as excited to see Liverpool because they play them all the time. Whereas for Preston, this is, you know, a game that they get once every 20, 30 years.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, yeah, they are struggling, but I you do expect them to play above themselves for this. And um, I think if, as we expect Klopp does field his youngsters, I think they're they just going to really, really go for them and try and try and edge them in experience, try and intimidate them, uh, especially with the crowd behind them so I I would expect Liverpool to to overcome that especially as Freddie says I mean it, not all of them are youngsters some of them are, are brilliant players like Mane who just aren't in the team right now <laughs> or, sorry not in the team but didn't play on Saturday which is quite frightening I think if you're a Preston fan um but I yeah I certainly expect Preston to play better than they have been doing in their own league this season
1: We'll, we'll jump now West Ham against Manchester City uh, West Ham just having a phenomenal season this year and you know being a Sunderland fan I'm not a big fan of David Moyes obviously <laughs> a bit of a disaster there but you've got to say fair, fair play to him for the job he's doing at West Ham but lots of games you know that, that's the main thing I've taken from this Freddie that they seem to be playing lots at the minute they are winning games and I'm sure when you're winning games it doesn't matter how many you're playing but is playing Man City maybe a game too far on a midweek when they played last midweek as well.
0: Yeah, it, it could be. It could be. I think the 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 player we're all keeping an eye on is Michel Antonio, because he's fairly irreplaceable for that, for that team. And he's been handed some breaks in uh, Europa League action, but you, you think if they're going to have any chance of reaching a, a quarterfinal here, they, they need him um, starting up front. So, yeah you know all eyes on on antonio and his and his hamstrings and hopefully he stays fit all season because he's been you know absolutely brilliant and obviously popped up with the winner against uh tottenham at the weekend um but yeah the demands of playing european football um on a squad that's not necessarily used to it um are huge um and the demands of playing manchester city in whichever competition are are also huge because you know that arguably no team in the league perhaps with Chelsea aside can um can match them for for the number of quality options they've got in their in their squad so you know expect to see um you know plenty of changes for city as well plenty of changes for both teams you'd imagine just because that seems to be the way the Carabao Cup is treated by managers but um i think we'll, we'll see lots of quality on show and um it's arguably the you know the pick of the last 16 ties do you think david
1: west ham will you know they beat Man United in the previous round. Do you think they'll take this very seriously? I mean, do you think they'll be sort of five, six, seven changes, or do you think you'll you'll stick with you know
2: the team they had at the weekend against Tottenham? Um, I think I think perhaps somewhere in between because I think the the Man United win was it was a great result and a great performance, but it was also quite bittersweet because I think it was only a matter of hours later. West Ham found out they were playing Manchester City (laughs) I thought um yeah I thought uh yeah going into this season obviously David Moyes would have wanted to rest players but they're playing so well and London Stadium feels like such a different place now that I think he would be tempted to go for this and I I think he will I mean as Freddie says Mikel Antonio uh his hamstrings are precarious and if he were to play tonight, that would make it three games in seven days, which I, I don't think uh, he'll quite go for, David Moyes. But I, I do also think he will pay, he'll play more players than he would have expected to tonight in this competition when he started the season. And I think the games are sellout. So I, I really expect West Ham to, to really go for this
1: uh hopefully the the dog will have shut up there <laughs> Hermes at the door um so for the other thing with West Ham to get back on topic and not for the the Hermes delivery driver Man City we, we mentioned before you know dominant in this competition they've been absolutely phenomenal you know for I think it's six of the last eight actually going back to 2014 they've won this is really their sort of it's almost their trophy I suspect that they just keep it in it out to Wembley for the final it's it's that much of a competition to dominate do you think that Pep Guardiola takes it so seriously now because he almost thinks well it is ingrained in our culture that we win this competition that it's, it's our trophy and we've won it so often under his time in charge
0: yeah I'd love to know what quite where Guardiola has it in his hierarchy of everything he's won really um, because you know his trophy cabinet's absolutely full but he yeah, he does seem to really value this competition. I'm not sure whether that's just a product of City's, frankly, ridiculous depth over the years. That, I mean, for a lot of those seasons where they've won it, they just no one's been able to match them. Um, or whether it's a, a case of Guardiola actually really loves it. And the, the City have obviously had a fine record recently of winning, you know, kind of doubles, trebles, that had that domestic quadruple when you include the community shield as well. So, um, He's a he's a manager, as we were saying earlier, they're they're all motivated to buy honors, but he's a manager that you know few can say they've won as many as him. Um and he he clearly he clearly values this competition and um yeah, we expect to see a really a strong city city team today.
1: And as a West Ham fan, David, uh, how important is this competition to you? Considering how well you're doing in the Europa League and how well it's going in the Premier League, is this mm-hmm. something West Ham should be talking I about? Mean, when was the last time Arsenal, uh, awesome. West Ham, won a trophy? Uh, I remember getting them final in 2006.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, oh, I, I feel uh, it's a bit of a heart uh, head-over-heart situation. I mean, I, I, probably we should be resting players uh, to, to cope with the schedule of the Europa League. But we're on form. We're, we're really on form. And um, I, I kind of think, you know... London Stadium is a is a different place right now. It's not it's not quite the miserable uh, bowl that everyone said it was uh, before it came. It's, it's got atmosphere now, and I, I kind of think that the reason Manchester City always won there was because when when we got passed off the park and the stadium was silent, it it, it became a difficult place for the home side to play. But now it's different. I could really see us pushing on and. Uh, yeah I, I really want us to go for it i really want us to go for it because one of the one of the biggest biggest things with david moyes um is that west ham used to be a car crash of a club when it came to injuries um, we used to buy players who just got injured straight away uh all of our players used to uh hobble off uh rarely ever played more than two games on the trot but David Moyes has done something where players just aren't doing that anymore, particularly Mikel Antonio. I mean, I, know I expect him to be rested tonight, but his hamstrings haven't gone yet, which is uh, a huge testament to David Moyes. So I think the squad could handle it, and I, I would really like to see West Ham go for it.
1: We'll we'll jump now Tottenham Burnley. Uh Tottenham of course got the final last year. Uh or in considering how good Tottenham have been over the last ten years, the fact they haven't pulled out a trophy is is quite amazing. It reminds me a little bit of Newcastle in the nineties. You know, you you finish second, finish third, and you, you still just can't get over the hump and actually have something to show for it. It feels like Tottenham are now not the team they were. Um I think anyone who's watched Tottenham this season will see that they are nowhere near that Champions League final team from just a few years ago. Burnley tonight at home, you, you would fancy them though, Freddie, uh, to get through to the next round. Burnley they have not been particularly good this season.
0: Yeah, Burnley famously slow starters um, and it's it's hard to see how they could, uh, could could get a result here against the Tottenham team in, in, in dire need a result as well really and uh, um, kind of morale a morale-boosting victory. Um, yeah, this, this Tottenham team is. It feels there's a very different mood around it compared to the one which reached uh, reached the final last season. That's um, a different mood in for, ba- for better and for worse. I think um, obviously the atmosphere under Jose Mourinho grew fairly toxic towards the end of his reign. As a as a Mourinho apologist, I was um, I was sad to see him um, sacked basically on the eve of the final, a few few weeks, few days before um and i you know reminded a lot of people that he was the only man to beat guardiola in a major cup final prior to that obviously tuchel has done so since but um yeah i think uh i think nuno has 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 changed the atmosphere for in for better in some ways but also then uh they kind of get brought down to earth by a fairly spineless performance against um against west ham i don't think uh they have much identity there um so they need, uh, they, you know, reaching the quarterfinals would uh, would lift them for sure. And then it's obviously a huge game against um, United at the weekend.
1: Yeah, when I watched Tottenham and you saw them at the weekend, they just seem to be so lacking identity that creativity just isn't there. Harry Kane looks a shell of his former self, David, and I just don't see how new I mean this isn't going to be a you know a a real deep dive into Nuno as a manager but to me he just does not look like the right fit and I think Tottenham know that because he was about the 12th choice when they hired him in the first place but to me that that club doesn't look like a happy club and doesn't look like a club primed for success
2: short or long term yeah yeah I agree I I think I think Tottenham are suffering the consequences of what I feel are too pretty major poor decisions the the first is the the managerial one um as you say it can't it can't be good for the players to know that their manager is was that far back in line in terms of the choice that didn't inspire them with confidence probably for him himself as well knowing that he was far down on the list too probably isn't great um and I think yeah I think if they were gonna sack Mourinho should have sorted that long before they decided to do that. And the second one is is selling Harry Kane. I think it, it's becoming quite clear now that they should have taken the money for Harry Kane. Um, and Not, not just taking the money, but they, they, should, <laughs> they were gonna say they should have taken it early and allowed a new manager to rebuild. I kind of wonder if how much more of a sell Spurs would have been to a new manager you'd said we're selling Harry Kane for a hundred 120 million pounds and that's all yours to rebuild the club in your direction I kind of wonder how much more attractive that would have made Spurs rather than bringing in Nuno and telling him this situation we're going to fight to the death to keep him on but you know as a result we haven't got that money to spend in the meantime and yeah the, the consequences are really poor I mean Harry Kane just looked so slow in dealing with the Mikel Antonio decision. Um, And he, he just doesn't look the same player anymore. And I kind of think, I certainly think they wouldn't get £120 million for him now. And more importantly, I don't think Man City would pay that kind of money for him now. So I think that's two really poor decisions from Daniel Levy that they are suffering from at the moment.
1: And final game to talk about Leicester, Brighton. Yeah, it feels to me like this is a competition Leicester will target Freddie. I know they had some success under Martin O'Neill in this competition uh, 20, 20, 25 years ago something like that. But last year won the FA Cup, obviously won the Community Shield as well. Brendan Rodgers, I think, likes the idea of winning You know these domestic trophies and you know Leicester aren't going to compete for titles. But they are going to compete for domestic honors because on the day they can't beat anybody in the Premier League. Do you think this is a game tonight against Brighton that they would say is 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 big for their season? Because you know success in this competition will override any uh, poor performances in the Premier League, which they've not had a great start to the
0: Premier League. It's fair to say you know they're not quite where people would expect them to be. So this this is a big game. Yeah, it is a big game. I'm. I don't want to. I don't want to put them in the same bracket as West Ham, but I do think there are there are some similarities there with um, just the fact that they're both involved in in Europa League this season. So it's always interesting to see how strong you know Rodgers and Moyes are going to go here. Um, if you, if you sense if they don't go fairly strong today, then Brighton will give them problems because they've had a fairly good defensive record this season. And you know Potter, you 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 think if if Graham Potter is going to continue taking Brighton onwards, as he has done really impressively, um, they're going to, going to need to mount a kind of charge on one of the tit- on one of the domestic cups quite soon. So um, you wonder whether Leicester, you know, maybe could get caught a bit unawares here. Uh, they've obviously shown some signs of some players hitting some form recently with um, Pats and Dakar's heroics in midweek last week with four goals against uh spot at moscow i think it was and uh james madison um ending his goal drought at the weekend um but uh yeah i i sense they might need to go fairly strong fairly strong here if they're gonna um balance the demands of trying to finish in the place european place in the premier league balance the europa league and uh balance the domestic cups as well
1: well we'll finish off with just a little bit on Manchester United. Um, David Oli apparently been given three games to save his job. Um, I always find it peculiar when this sort of information leaks mm-hmm. because it just seems completely silly, the pressure that it will put on an already highly pressured job. It just seems madness that you would actually come out and not necessarily come out and say, but somebody's leaked it to the press, that yeah. it's going to be three games and he's on the verge mm-hmm. of the sack. Do you think that it's a surprise that he's been given the three games, considering how poor Man United have been pretty much all season, but also just the manner of that embarrassing showing on Sunday? I mean, that is as bad as it gets as a fan to lose a derby game at home 5-0 and not even beyond an early chance from Bruno Fernandes, not even look like doing anything in the whole game. Do you think that three games is fair for (laughs) What What's your view on that situation? Uh,
2: I, I think that's Christmas present come early. To, to be honest, I think that's, that's incredibly generous <laughs> to be given three games uh, more after a performance like that. Um, I, I just thought they were dreadful. And think about Solskjaer is, you know, it might sound like I'm being harsh, but I'm not. I, I I don't think any other club in the Premier League would want him if he lost his job tomorrow. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't trust him. In the new in the Norwich position to keep them up, I, w- I wouldn't stick him in charge of, of Newcastle. And I think I think all other teams around Man United have got far better managers. And I don't think anything will change at Manchester United until they have a manager who's on a similar calibre to that. Um, I don't really know what they're hoping for out of those three games, really, uh, because th- we've just been here so many times where he's. He's he's lost a big game in an embarrassing fashion and then they look like they get form again and then they lose again. Um so you would just be repeating the same script over and over again. Um I think yeah, I think they need to take decisive action now. And if Conti really is interested in that job, I think that would be best for all parties.
1: Yeah, I think three games must take them to the international break, would be my guess. Um just bizarre. Man United all season, Freddie. Have been. I know that they, they did win some games quite convincingly. I think they beat Leeds five one earlier in the season, and they beat Newcastle as well. But you know, you watch the coverage on Sunday, and you know Jamie Carragher made the point that, and and David just made it there that they don't have a manager of the of Tuchel of Klopp, um, of Guardiola. They they have a manager who is a notch or two certainly below them, and. It is impacting them because all the other teams at the top of the Premier League have identity. You know, I think it's obvious how Man City play. It's obvious how Chelsea play and it's obvious how Liverpool play. Whereas Man United, it feels more like a scattergun approach of hopefully one of our better players will have a moment of brilliance, whether it be a Bruno Fernandes moment or a Cristiano Ronaldo moment or, a you know, hopefully a Jadon Sancho moment at some point. There is no identity at Man United at the minute. That's certainly how I think, but do you, am I being too harsh there or would you agree with that?
0: Oh, I think One one thing I would say is that in, in big games of old, um, there, there was some semblance of identity, which was sit back and hit them on the counter attack. And it worked. Solskjaer managed to pull off some results against, you know, the likes of Manchester city and even Liverpool. I mean, he made those games stiflingly boring to watch. Um, so there was some identity there, which is why it was quite so surprising that he kind of seemed to instruct his players to, to press on, on Sunday, which they, it was frankly embarrassing, um, to watch. Cause they they clearly it's not something that they, that's been drilled into them properly. And it was disjointed. It was, it was, wasn't coordinated and Liverpool, you know, duly put them to the sword. So um, no, yeah, absolutely. I, I think there, there's a complete lack of identity, um, especially after that decision to kind of part ways with the usual big game tactics. Um, and what he's got now is is the three big games coming up: uh, Tottenham Hotspur, Atalanta away, and, and Manchester City. So, I mean, it doesn't really get much. Uh, well, it does get trickier than that, but it's uh, you wouldn't. It's a pretty tricky run of fixtures before international break, um, and you know it kind of kind of says that the writing's on the wall, I think. Yeah,
1: the Tottenham game will be fascinating because you've got mm. two teams there who are both, uh, well, Man United, I would say, are in crisis and Tottenham are certainly edging yeah. on crisis at the minute, so that should be yeah. a fascinating encounter. And the last point we really make on Man United for me is, that, you know, Ed Woodward's on his way out but he isn't quite there yet. Do, do you make a change while that transition's happening? Is that what is hindering Manchester United at the minute, the fact that there is you know, Mm. imminent upheaval at boardroom level. Um, David, do you think Mm. that that, that's having an impact on this? Because they weren't expecting I mean, they just gave Oli a new contract. They were expecting him to be the manager for the next couple of years, two, three, four years. And Mm. now it's clear it isn't working. But they're not prepared to make this decision. That's what it feels like to me.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. Um, I mean, you you mentioned decision-making. I think it's not really clear who is making the decisions at that club really I mean there's so many baffling ones you know the answer to sorry the decision to uh spend the summer going after attacking players and not fixing areas where they need uh and there's just been a few decisions where you wonder is that Solskjaer making that decision or is that someone you know Ed Woodward or is it someone else because some of them just don't make sense like Jesse Lingard for example, you know they they watched his value appreciate up to you know twenty five million with a unexpectedly successful loan move to West Ham. So they keep him, they don't sell him, but then they don't play him, and now his contract's up, and they lose him for free. And you you kind of wonder: is Solskjaer making those decisions, or is is someone else behind it? Because either way, it's pretty damning on on him. So I think yeah, with your point there, I think. Um, whoever sacks him has got to take full responsibility for the replacement and really hand over decision-making to them.
1: And last one to finish, Freddie, and we'll, we'll tie this one up. Do you think Man United are disappointment, you know, and it feels like we, we've had from Ferguson leaving a string of appointments that have had potential but haven't quite made it. I think Oli's been the closest to being uh, a good appointment. I think he's been the one who's closest to achieving success and there has been progress at man united under him but this next appointment is is pretty club defining i would say for manchester United. because if you get this one wrong then you're looking at 10 years without you know winning the premier league you're looking at the club the stadium you know they've got arguably the worst stadium of the the big clubs in this country now old trafford is um certainly from what i've been in the past but even the reporter here is a one of the worst grounds in the league. I mean it's it infested with rats and mice. You know, it is that bad. The club feels like it's crumbling apart. They've got owners that don't seem to invest in the right areas. Yes, they have invited and invested on the pitch, but I think off the pitch they, they, they haven't this to me feels like this needs to be an appointment that lasts five or six years and and grows the club and and takes them back to kind of their identity of, of homegrown talents and you know invest in Investing in the squad, but investing in top quality players rather than kind of a scattergun approach of, oh well, he's playing well at the minute, so we'll just buy him. And, and I feel like Man United's been doing that for a long time now since Ferguson left.
0: Well, yeah, absolutely, Colin. It is it is club defining at this point, um, or well, at least for for the next um, for the next spell few years, um, which is part of the part of the problem with this whole the whole managerial search really, because there's not that obvious candidate out there for a long-term project. Do you think Conte spent two years at into two years at Chelsea and um, is known to kind of buckheads with club chiefs? He's not that man that's going to be there for a long time. Zinedine Zidane has also, you know, been linked, but he seems to have reservations about the role and he, you know, he's only he's only managed Real Madrid and across two stints and doesn't really seem too dedicated to a long term cause either so the obvious you know the obvious one that's also getting linked is is Mauricio Pochettino who's shown his dedication to a project at Tottenham but is obviously tied down at Paris Saint-Germain now so how are you how are you going to prize him from from there with the you know the start to the season they've had domestically and um and the potential they've got on the European stage as well so I think that's that's probably the main the main problem here is the lack of a standout candidate the lack of a um you know a, a Klopper or a guardiola that's gonna bring bring you a a platform to build on and b long-term success
1: okay well uh, we're just about run out of time there so thanks david for coming on thanks Freddie, for coming on as well uh, please remember to subscribe if you haven't already this podcast and have a great week and enjoy watching the caramel Cup tonight